Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Mike Maddock with us today of flourishforums.com. That is forums, plural with an S. And uh, we're going to be talking about leadership blind spots. And this is actually a topic that I've always been really fascinated about because the thing with blind spots is you don't see them. That's why they're called blind spots. <laughs> but the thing that makes it really interesting is that everybody has blind spots, but for whatever reason, as people ascend in their intelligence, ability, compensation, two out of the three, we'll say, you know, one to three out of three, what happens is people start figuring, thinking, hey, I've got it figured out. I must not have blind spots anymore. And that is absolutely never the case. But of course, you know, each of us have this fantastic psychological mechanism by which we are able to lie to ourselves believably that there are that we don't personally continually carry blind spots. So anyway, Mike, please feel free to poke holes in my intro pitch, but uh, please introduce yourself and let's get the conversation going. Well, thanks, uh, Doug. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I tell my friends I'm really good at starting things and really bad at finishing them. So I've started seven different businesses, and most of them have been around branding, marketing, new product development. Uh -huh. My latest business, which you were referring to, is Flourish Forums, which is a virtual peer group for C-level leaders that gets uh -huh. together once a month to help reveal each other's blind spots. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's excellent. Well, and the thing that I think is really important with the idea of blind spots is and that I, I really feel like you're addressing with Flourish Forums is to have that safe space where you can really talk about it. Because I think that, you know, just my observation is that, you know, a lot of people feel really guarded about uh, with talking about their blind spots, particularly if they feel that it's somebody who's going to criticize it, who's going to dismiss it, or who will be talking about it with other people. Yeah, there's the, you mentioned what happens is that in every industry, you are promoted for your expertise or what you know. Mm -hmm. you're yeah. Not, typically, you're not promoted, unless you're in academia, you're not celebrated for asking questions about what you don't know. Yeah. And so there, it's a trap. My favorite saying is you can't read the label when you're sitting inside the jar, which yeah. is to say <laughs> that, you know, you know what works, you know why you got promoted, you know what's legal, you know what you've tried in the past, you know what you can afford. And the more you know, the harder it is for you to see possibility when it's walking right in front of you. Mark Twain said, it, it ain't what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for certain that just ain't so. And what happens is you tend to uh, be so firm in your belief because you've had this success formula that's gotten you to the C-suite. And it yeah. becomes very difficult for you to see uh, different points of view unless you really trust, respect, 
and can be vulnerable about your, you know, your blind spots. And, and the yeah. idea is to, the best leaders I know have found ways to surround themselves with people that have a C in front of their name, just like they do, and that are willing to challenge yeah. and say, are you sure that's the problem you're trying to solve? Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, and another thing that I think related to what you're talking about is that a lot of people, as they ascend uh, in, you know, in a decision-making hierarchy, what ends up creeping in is risk aversion, you know, because of course, you know, when you're new starting out, you don't have a whole lot to lose. So you can kind of put yourself out there, you know, at some point you get to where your downside is bigger than your upside. And I think what that does is that locks a lot of people into very predictable average to below average modes of decision making. I totally agree. One of my companies, Maddock Douglas, has yeah. worked with 25% of the Fortune 100, and which means that we've worked with C-level people at companies that are trying to keep from being disrupted. Yeah. And I will whisper in people's ears, show me a 63-year-old CEO, and I'll show you something that ain't going to change because that person can see the finish line. And all they're trying to do is keep the thing from blowing up until they can retire. There are yes. exceptions, of course, but it's typically the upstart, the young person, the, the yeah. entrepreneur that can come in and completely blow things up. I wrote a book about it called Plan D, Disruptors, because they just don't sit and put up with things that make them crazy. They, they just break things to make them yeah. better. Because of course, the point of view for this show is ascending your business to world-class. You know, it takes one of two forms. Form A is where you transform an existing business and then Form B is where you build a new business. Of the two, I think transforming an existing business to world-class is far more difficult because you have to overcome that built-in change aversion. Yeah, I think that it, it, change happens for one of two reasons. I have a mentor, Rick Voren. He's actually the chairman of Stegen Integral Leadership. For you leaders out there, I'd highly rec recommend Stegen. And I remember I was bitching and moaning about how I have trouble learning from leaders who I don't respect. I won't say the name, but I was, I yeah. just seen a very famous CEO on the news. He was being interviewed with his mistress that just, and it just pissed me off. I'm like, what, what is this guy doing? And I remember complaining about it. And Rick's first piece of advice was judge the medicine, not the vessel. And then he, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, Mike, I hear you complaining. And in my experience leaders like you only change for one of two reasons either they are so tired of suffering that they need to make the suffering stop or they have a compelling vision that is so attractive that there's nothing i mean nothing that's going to keep them from reaching that vision yeah. so unless you have a compelling vision or you're tired of suffering you're just going to keep complaining and nothing's going to change and so to your point doug i think that unfortunately most established businesses change because they can't stand suffering anymore and, and yeah. oftentimes it's too late to change mm -hmm. because suffering usually means you're not making any money you've tightened the belt everyone's afraid and when they're afraid they don't want to change so give me a compelling vision give me a ceo that understands how to see possibility in the market and convince people this is a great possibility it's just much easier for organizations to change based on a compelling vision rather than suffering their way into pivoting. Yeah, well, and yes, I think I would say easier and more productive because as you said, in a lot of cases, when you change to, when change is a part is pain avoidance, 
in a lot of cases, you will be at or possibly past that point of being able to really influence a, you know, a high value outcome. So like, for example, at the time of this recording, currently uh, we have interest rates on the rise to combat inflation. One of the things that I foresee happening is that I think the phenomenon you're talking about is going to, is going to hit a lot of companies because I think the latest report I read from the Federal Reserve was that roughly one fifth of publicly traded companies are what they call zombie companies, which is where essentially their annual earnings after interest are not, you know, are basically zero. They are not able to pay down their debt. And so what that means is that they're sort of, they're still in operation, but they have to continually roll over debt in order to stay in business, which means they can't afford to invest. And when interest rates go up, unless they can come up with some sort of brilliant plan or maneuver, then they can get pushed into a debt spiral. And, you know, because, and so now what I foresee happening is you're going to end up having a number of companies that start shifting over into a debt spiral that all have to figure out how do we pivot at the exact same time in the middle of a recession, which is typically one of the harder times to pivot. Yeah. And typically I will see your vision and raise you. That does is it creates a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs because what happens is, you know, Thomas Edison started GE, Jack Welsh finished it. And, you know, I was on the board of advisors, the innovation board for General Electric, and Jack Welsh had created a company that was so good at operational efficiency, mitigating risk and tightening the belt that once they had tightened their belt to the point it couldn't be tightened anymore, they didn't they had forgotten how to, or said differently, they'd created a a body that didn't know how to respond to pressure by pivoting. They just yeah. weren't built to do it anymore. Most organizations, large organizations are run by operators. An operator's response to pressure is to tighten and to you know squeeze. And what that does is it creates a gap in the market for the visionary people who are like, you know what? There's a need for this in the market. Now's the time I'm going to launch it. The upside of a recession is that it creates an incredible moment in time for entrepreneurs to jump into industries while the large Goliaths are worried about just keeping, mixing metaphors now, keeping the wheels on the track. Yeah. Well, and, you know, because I think one of the things that I've come to, you know, not just believe, I would say, but also, you know, to really try to live in my life is the idea that, right, there's not really any such thing as a bad time or a good time. It's really just information. There will always be some kind of opportunity out there. It's just a matter of when and how you capitalize on it. You know, so like, for example, you know, it's like, okay, you know, in in the Great Recession, the Great Recession, there was an enormous real estate foreclosure wave. Okay, well, you know, you could basically buy properties at once in a lifetime prices. It was the mother of all buying opportunities for real estate. Whereas, you know, say you when when you go through company bankruptcies and liquidations, okay, well, how could that possibly be, be a good thing? Okay, well, in a lot of cases, you can pick up capital for pennies to, you know, from nickels to pennies on the dollar. And in a lot of cases, you can pick up, you know, very skilled talent for extremely reasonable, you know, for, for otherwise reasonable rates. And I think in a lot of cases, it's really just a matter of how you approach it and which way you decide you're going to pivot. As you say, ideally guided by vision, because anytime that you are guided by pain avoidance or fear, you're necessarily going to be trying to push away from change instead of leaning into it and and figuring out where that value threshold is going to be. So there is a, a term called marketing myopia. 
And yes. essentially you get so busy working on the bits and parts of your business that you forget the business you're really in. And the example that a Harvard professor used was, you know, if the titans of industry at the turn of the century had realized that they were in the transportation business, the railroad titans would have owned every boat, every plane, every railroad car. But they didn't. They thought they were in the railroad industry. And in recessions, people get really myopic. They forget the possibility mm -hmm. that they have in front of them. And that leaves gaps in the market. So, you know, Netflix, Airbnb, Hewlett Packard, MTV, even GE. Those are famous companies, Microsoft, that were all yep. started in the heat of a recession. Yep. And I continue to argue the reason is because the, the incumbents are so busy operating their company and trying to keep it from going down or into a debt spiral, as you said, that there's a gap, there's an opening because people yep. still want stuff. People still want their problems solved. And so I encourage, yeah, I'll tell you a quick story. I don't think I've told this story before. I've written about it, I believe. We did work for Kodak many years ago. Uh -huh. And I remember going, and we had done research, and then we were in a brainstorm. And I sat down with the CTO then of Kodak. And this is when Kodak was still Kodak. Yeah. And I said, hey, I mentioned one of their competitors. And I said, do you think they're a problem for you? Because they're selling now in Walmart and Target and stuff. And he goes, do you understand the business we're in, son? I don't think you do. We have the finest paper and chemicals in the world. Our technology has captured history. That competitor you're talking about, that is crap. The colors aren't right, the paper's too flimsy, etc. And he was so right. He was so right, but he was wrong because he thought they were in the chemical and paper business. This is Kodak. They were in the memory business. Yeah. They had every conceivable advantage until they didn't because they forgot the business they were in. They got myopic. And, yeah. you know, late years later, I talked to a friend who became their CMO and said, you know, that competitor was the one that threw us off. They, they killed us um, because they came in. People didn't care if the paper, they just wanted their faces to look shiny and bright and colorful yeah. and they wanted it cheaper. So try to use my power, my, my mental powers of ESPN. Did that competitor, did its name start with an F and end with an Uji? No, it wasn't. It was a different, oh, interesting. It was a okay, it was All a different. Right. It was a different film manufacturer that was very cheap at the time, and my wife had bought it, and I'm like, eh, it looked okay to me, and I had a degree in design, like I got yeah. his argument, but my wife, who also had a degree in design, didn't care, you yeah. know. So that happens in every large company. Now he was the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. He was a C level person in the room, and he was right, but it was a blind spot. That's what I'm talking about. So th this Flourish Forums concept, the idea is to have someone like him who's a tech futurist, to have an operator, a strategist, a rainmaker, a visionary, the tech futurist and the orchestrator, all who are running companies, all or P&Ls, all who have C in front of their names. And then when you take on a challenge, they just see it differently, you know? Yeah. So, so an example, a common example might be, you go to your advisory board or your forum and you're talking about profits like, God, we are just not profitable enough. And yeah. so so the if it's a strategist who's making the presentation, it, it might sound something like, you know, despite numerous efforts, people do not seem to get why profits more matter more than anything else. It's the oxygen of this business. So it's about people not caring. They don't understand how important profits are. Well, the orchestrator might say something like, you know, for me, it was about getting a great operator 
because she saw things I couldn't see. The operator might say, yeah, what I discovered was that we were measuring lagging versus leading indicators. We were measuring the wrong thing. The visionary might say, no, you know what? It's about fear of conflict. We're all trying to help each other out so much that we make excuses and we're not accountable. So this is a cultural issue. The rainmaker might say, you know what? We don't have a pipeline. People are going to want to appear busy even when we're not. So they're billing non-billable hours. So it's showing up as nonprofit. The point is that they all might be right. The greater huh. point is for that strategist to go, huh, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way that's how blind spots go away. And if you or one of your listeners goes to a meeting and you keep presenting on the same thing and you can't fix it, there's an axiom in design thinking that if you keep trying to solve the same problem, can't solve it, you're probably working on the wrong problem. So having a group of people who can shift your thinking and say, huh, maybe we're not in the film and chemical business, even though I spend 99% of my days thinking about film and chemical, maybe the opportunity is really about making memories. How can we do that? Uh, I, I love that construct because the, 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 as you were talking earlier, the thing that I, I was trying to think about is to say, okay, you know, based on the way corporate governance structures work and just based on the way that human cognitive biases work, you know, is that your established companies are always led by usually a senior team of people who have a fair bit of tenure and by definition have more to lose in their careers than they do to gain. Right. And so, you know, what, what ends up happening is you, you know, is basically through a traditional corporate governance structure, you will get systemic risk aversion and systemic change aversion. So the question then becomes, how do you effectively systemically overcome both of those so that you can be driven by a vision instead of falling back to reacting against pain? Because I think, you know, because it's like you said, you know, Kodak didn't figure out they really had a problem until it was ostensibly too late, you know, until they said, oh, my goodness, we're in the memory business. Uh, we're, you know, you know, not, you know, not only do we have a cheaper film al alternative that we're going up against, we are, you know, now all of a sudden we have to try to make up ground against all the digital cameras and yeah you know, and I I, I, i'd love to get your thoughts on is there a systemic way to do that yes there is and first of all what i was talking about was flourish forms so what that does from the the fish stinks from the head down so the first thing that has to happen is the leadership in a company needs to become aware that they might be missing something they need to be open to huh man, what we've been doing isn't working. We need a new idea. We need to think about our business differently. So those forums are really good for that. Yeah. A, a flourish forum. And by the way, I've been in forum from EO, YPO, Vistage, companies, organizations like that for the better part of 25 years. The best friends in my life I met in forum. Flourish forums was designed to hyper curate the people in the room so that problems are, are seen through at least five different lenses. That's the difference yeah. besides the fact that they're virtual. So our members are from all around the world. So that's number one, you have the, the people have to see possibility. And then number two, think you're right. There is a systemic issue. So how do big companies uh, deal with that? The first thing is to use research and data to understand what business they have the right to be in, where there are gaps in the experience or market that they can serve, and find those gaps. You can literally, there's a system, I've written books about this, articles, to find insights, needs, that's I statement of fact, reason to believe, because tension. 
I want my teeth to look whiter because it makes me look younger, but brushing my teeth doesn't make me them white enough. That was a $4 billion insight statement, literally. Yeah. We came up with it doing using research, quantified it, and then Procter & Gamble, our client, went and launched all kinds of products around that. It's now an $11 billion industry. And oh, by the way, the dentists who they were developing that product for said, there's no way that matters because white teeth is a false proxy. You could have gingivitis and your teeth are white. We don't want anything to do with it. And then 10 years after Procter & Gamble started that the dentist is yelling at me in a brainstorm and Procter & Gamble is now in the teeth whitening business, the association that protects dentists from the future took a case to the Supreme Court arguing that only dentists should be able to whiten teeth and they lost. So that's what a blind spot does for you when you're an yeah. expert. Back to big companies. Once you have that need like P&G did, then you can say, how am I gonna solve it? And most big companies, they've learned that they have to go out and invest in startups. They need to start a different division outside the core that can run without the yeah. fear and concern. They have innovation centers and they, they either invent, they prototype, or they buy companies. You know, there's a reason why Kashi stayed away from Kellogg's when they bought them because yeah. the ingredients were too expensive. The brand was different. They're like the mothership would have killed I my humble point of view because Kellogg's is a great company, but they're built around efficiency. I, I worked for Intel for 18 years. I cannot tell you how many acquisitions Intel utterly and completely destroyed because, of course, Intel's view is, okay, this is the way we do things. We just bought a company. You know, we need innovation. Okay, now follow our processes, use our systems, you know, operate through our factories. Right. Okay, you know, now all of your people are going to be forced into our rating and ranking system. <laughs> That's right. And so the, the culture that makes Intel so amazing is the very culture that will suffocate and in it you know unwittingly kill I, I wrote it, an article for Forbes a while back called death by association and it was yeah. about how associations unwittingly kill the very industries that they're supposed to be supporting because yeah. they don't want to tick off their members you know change is difficult it makes people afraid so when an association that gets paid for membership comes and says yeah. you guys are this is things are bad you need to change nobody wants to be a member anymore and that's a little <laughs> tiny example of how big companies are really designed not to be innovative there's actually a paradox we did a study about 15 years ago and then accenture followed up with the same study and the innovation paradox is the harder we try to innovate the worse we get at it and we've gotten almost 20 percent worse as a country at innovating since innovation became a buzzword and it's all about fear and under pressure people go to their go-to punch and so the antidote one of the antidotes is to invest outside the organization another antidote is to get really clear about what the market needs even if it isn't what you provide which is scary and a third antidote which we haven't talked about is to have a just like your investment strategy, have a yeah. portfolio strategy around where you're going to put your, where you're going to place your bets. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's excellent. Well, uh, okay. We're just about a time. This has been a great conversation. We might need to do a follow-up at some point. So uh, Mike, uh, give everybody your last one to two thoughts and then let us know where we can go to find out more. I mean, we know uh, flourishforums.com with an S, but uh, you know, please give out any other websites, tell people where to find you on the socials. 
Yeah, it's easy. If you just Google Mike Maddock, you'll find me. If you're interested in a peer group, I am going to start another one in Q4. You have to be a P&L owner. Just shoot me a note and I'll yeah. talk to you about what that looks like. That's Flourish, Mike at flourishforums.com. And if you're an upstart entrepreneur or an intrapreneur at a large company that's interested in you know, a get out of jail free card when it comes to launching a new product or service, you can send me a note at mike at com, and I'm happy to help you with a couple hacks that I've learned the hard way. All right. Excellent. Hey, Mike, I really appreciate your time today. All right. My pleasure, Doug. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. So if you liked this episode, please share it on your favorite social media and tag me and then tell me what you did or didn't like about this episode so that I will know what to create for you. And in addition, I would like to share with you the most incredible free gift ever. What I am going to do is I am going to give you a three-day, four-night vacation at one of 30 destinations across the United States completely free with no obligation at all, no timeshare pitch, nothing. In addition to that, what I am going to do is I am going to do a complimentary savings assessment for your business so that you will understand whether it makes sense for us to work together so that I can help to save you money. The value of this offer is literally between thousands and millions of dollars depending on your business. But even if you don't have a business, if you know somebody who does, I would like to extend that offer to them and still provide a free vacation to you. So just go to offer.terminalvalue.biz right now and enter your information so that I can bring your free vacation to you. Remember, that is offer.terminalvalue.biz, and I am looking forward to talking with you.